Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could join us today because today's topic is something that I have wanted to discuss on Go Green Radio for a long time. And it was just a matter of finding the right guest. And today our guest is Terry Blanton. And she has been an activist on an issue that some of you may not even know is occurring in the United States. It's called Mountaintop Removal Coal Mining. And it's it's kind of a shocking situation. And actually, if you want to take a look at some images uh, while we're talking to Terry on voiceamerica.com, don't close this tab in your web browser, but open up a new tab in your web browser and simply Google mountaintop removal and click on images and look at some of the images that, that you're going to see there. You just won't believe this is happening in the United States of America. Um, about two-thirds of the coal that we use in America, which we typically use for electricity, comes from surface mining. And one of the ways in which that is is promulgated is through mountaintop removal. And it's occurring all over the Appalachian mountain range. We're going to be talking to Terry, who lives in Kentucky, and she has seen her community uh, radically changed by mountaintop removal coal mining. Welcome to Go Green Radio, Terry. I'm so glad to have you on the show today. Well, thank you for having me, and, and thank you for uh, letting the listeners aware or making the listeners aware of exactly what's going on. And first, let's go back to what we are destroying. We are destroying some of the oldest mountains on Earth. The Appalachian Mountains have some of the most diverse hardwood forests in the world second only in biodiversity in animal and plant species to the rainforest in South America. So this is a a beautiful, very important part of our nation that we're allowing to be destroyed for a one-time profit for coal. And, you know, know, we talk about coal and, and, you know, this is the very beginning of it and the destruction of of our waterways. Well, and, you know, the thing is that coal there, there's a life cycle to coal and there's been a lot of attention and we'll talk about this in a little while about when we burn coal and and this notion and i have to if people could see me right now i'm doing air quotes when i say clean coal but we're going to talk about that that's when you burn it and that's that's yeah. a separate issue but we're going to yeah. talk about how coal is produced particularly with mountaintop removal techniques but first terry i'd love to have you talk to our listeners and by the way our listeners are from all across the country who are tuning in on voiceamerica.com so you're talking to the nation right now let's have you start by talking about where you're from and how it was that you first became aware of this method of coal mining called mountaintop removal well i actually come from harlan county kentucky which is a southeastern part of the state and the the holler that I lived in was White Star Holler in in uh, Dayhoyt and you know they started strip mining strip mining and mountaintop removal mining around my community in the 70s and then they walked away from it and left a big mess which flooded out my family's valley and destroyed our entire uh, landscape of our yard and then uh 
it just kept from then on just kept getting more extreme and bigger and bigger and bigger and then they found the loophole of mountaintop removal where you know you have a mountain and then you have a valley and then you have another mountain and they'll take mountains down and and of course you have the natural streams that flows which is the headwater streams of three major rivers that runs out of Kentucky the Kentucky the Big Sandy and the Cumberland River very big rivers, and Mm -hmm. a part that runs into the Mississippi and into the Gulf. People can follow their streams from the headwaters to the Gulf, and but um, they would blow up the mountains and then fill in the valleys. So in places, I can take you to the Daniel Boone National Forest, and you can drive for 20, 30 miles on top of a mesa. You would think you were in the desert somewhere. Wow. in the middle of the Daniel Boone National Forest. And in Kentucky alone, we've lost over 200 mountains to oh this type of mining. And, um, and across central Appalachia, over 500 mountains have been, have been leveled. And, that, and you that's take, an unbelievable amount of acreage. I mean, it's hard to wrap my head around 500 mountains and the, yes. the tops of them being blown off. You know, yes. here's the thing. I grew up in southern Illinois, and my dad was actually a coal miner for 25 years, but he mined in an underground coal mine, which, you know, everybody knows that is miserable and that's dangerous for the miners themselves, but in many ways, the people living around those mines only saw coal in railroad cars getting, you know, moved out of the area. We didn't see the, the production side of it, and because I grew up this way, I thought that most of the nation's coal came from underground mines, and it was kind of surprising to find out that that's not true. 70% of our coal production happens above ground. I would like for you, Terry, to give us a description, kind of help us understand with our, our senses, our sight and sound and, and smell and all the things that you can describe, what it's like to live in a community where coal is being mined from the surface of the earth. What are some of the things that a community in that area has to endure? Well, the, 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 all of the noise, you know, from all the machinery. But one of the, the biggest things is they use ammonia nitrate in fuel oil, and they blow up the entire top of the mountain above. First, they'll rake, take down all the trees and, and shove all, all of what they call the overburden, which is the plant and the trees and stuff from the mountain tops. And they shove it to the over to the side of the mountain, and then they know like how far down, how deep down the coal is, and then they use ammonia nitrate and fuel oil. They call it ampho, and and they blow up the mountain. So you have all of that dust and all of that, the particulate matter from that fuel oil and ammonia that's going down into the valleys and onto people's houses. And in the meantime, some of these blasts are so hard that. People come home from work and, you know, their pictures are on the floor, their windows are broke. And unfortunately, it's up to the person to prove that that coal company, your neighbor over there, blew your house up rather than, you know, so you have to prove that they did it rather than them prove that they didn't. Wow. So you not, so this is just the very beginning of it. And think about the carbon intensive work that all the carbon that's released in that. Plus, when you blow up that mountain, then you're releasing all the methane from the top of the coal. And methane is like 20 times worse than the carbon that comes out of the stacks of the power plants. Right. So, but, and there's lots of carbon released, whether it's deep mining or, or strip mining. 
And, you know, mountaintop removal is just like strip mining on steroids, even though our states will say today that they're not issuing mountaintop removal permits, which, in fact, they they are. But if we leave a tree or a little ledge over there and don't take it all, then it's um, not mountaintop removal. <laughs> so so then you have, this is just the beginning of it, then, then you truck that coal to a processing plant. And then they use chemicals to separate the coal from, from the dirt and rock. And then when they get finished mining up there in those huge valley fields that they've created, they'll take all of that, those chemicals where they've processed this, this coal and then truck it back up on top of the mountains. And we have these huge sludge impoundments with, like, millions of gallons of sludge in them. We have over, like, 120 in Kentucky. What happens and to those? I mean, what, what, they they, just, they're just... The water runs off and runs off and runs off and runs off to it eventually becomes a solid, and they just cover it up with dirt and call it done. Oh, you're we kidding. We have one that broke in the early 2000s in, in Martin County, Kentucky, and it killed 100 miles of streams on the way to the Ohio River. Oh, my gosh. What about water pollution? I mean, like you're drinking water. Oh, people's drinking water is so contaminated, and that's one of our issues with Kentuckians for the Commonwealth because that is the big issue other than the flooding and the deforestation, but it's the poisoning of the water because all of the heavy metals and elements that used to be encased in this earth that they just blew up to smithereens is Mm -hmm. now leaching down into our creeks and our rivers. So we have really high levels of arsenic, selenium, barium, cadmium, aluminum, aluminum, manganese. The list just goes on and on. And unfortunately, we've even found it in the municipal water systems in the mountains. So, I mean, is this something that, you know, I know that a lot of people are thinking, well, gosh, nobody drinks straight out of a river. I mean, surely it goes to a water treatment facility, and isn't that magic? It just removes all those things. But in fact, what what happens to the water if, you know, even if it's treated, does that remove all of this stuff? No, there's, no, it doesn't filter out all of the metals and elements from the water. Mostly what mostly what municipal water systems do is chlorinate it and take care of E. coli and uh, those bacterial things. And what about well water? I mean, do do oh, a lot of people? Well, yeah, they they rely on well water in many areas of Kentucky. Isn't that true? Yes, I mean few, fewer and fewer and fewer because of so so many aquifers have been busted and broke, and things are just not the same because if you're undermined then it uh, cracks the aquifers and stuff, so it really messes with people's water. Right now we're fighting for, uh, there was 200 families in this one community that had been without water for two years. And the Division of Water said that when they came out and tested their water that it was no contact. What does that mean, Terry? That means you can't drink it, you can't wash your hands in it, you can't bathe in it, you can't wash your clothes in it. They was allowed to flush their toilets. And was it was it shown that this was a result of of the coal mining that was happening in the area? I mean, or did they bother to make that connection? Oh, we have fought it and fought it, and of course, one division sends you to the other. So, right now, we're our only hope at this point right now is the is the federal EPA to step in and enforce the Clean Water Act in the coal mining regions of central Appalachia. 
And how's that going? Well, um, it doesn't seem as if Region 4, which is the region in Atlanta that covers Kentucky, is interested in in enforcing the Clean Water Act in Kentucky. So, you know, we've been having lots of conversations with Washington, D.C. to, to um, help us. Because mm-hmm. we know the state, the state isn't enforcing any laws. I mean, one of our streams, the Big Sandy River, mm-hmm. is eighty. It's like eighty-five or eighty-seven percent impacted from resource extraction. Wow! And then you know, I mean, when you're talking about the people impacted by this, um, tell me what their uh, political. Uh, persuasive abilities are. I mean, you know, why isn't this something that's on CNN every day? Um, well, what is on CNN is some of the uh, elected officials that God only knows how they keep getting there. Well, I do. That, <laughs> <laughs> well, I do. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, they, you know, like right now, the, the we're we're already fighting the 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 Senate race for 2014 in Kentucky, mm-hmm. and if the you know if an industry like the coal industry can externalize all their costs over on the taxpayers, that gives them lots of money for public relations and buying politicians. Mm-hmm. Well, so, there's a lot of industries that that do that yeah. in America, and I I yeah. have a feeling you're just a uh, you're just victim to one more. We're going to take a quick commercial break in just a couple of minutes, but or in just a couple seconds here. But when we come back, Terry, I want you to tell us about your own experience, how your own family and your own neighborhood has been impacted from a health perspective by uh, mountaintop removal, coal mining, and the the ramifications of that extraction method. And we're also going to talk about an elementary school, Marsh Fork, uh, Fork Elementary, and a particular, particularly sad story that really does um, pull at your heartstrings. So don't go away, folks. There's much more Go Green Radio right after this. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson in The Sea Around Us said, All at last. Return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? 
Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Tolvanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Tolvanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could all join us today. If you're just tuning in, our guest today is Terry Blanton, and she is a longtime activist in the Kentucky area. Uh, and we're talking about an issue near and dear to her heart. Uh, it's the issue of mountaintop removal coal mining and the, the impact that it's had, not just on her community, but on communities across the Appalachia Mountains. And uh, I, I just, I, it's hard for me to believe that what is going on in her area is happening in the United States of America. But I want her to share more of her story with you so that so that no matter where you live, you can you can kind of empathize with what's going on in her neck of the woods. Terry, talk to us about uh, the impact that mountaintop removal coal mining has had on your own family, your children's health, your own neighborhood, uh, and, and some of the things that you've seen happening in your community health-wise as a result of this particular method of extracting coal. Well, um, I would have to say that I moved out of my community when my son was um, first went off to college, and and I had other problems in my community, finding out it was a federal Superfund site and this kind of thing from another industry that dumped on us. But the the bad neighbor, the coal industry, would have five or six trucks, you know, covered with coal muck running up and down the highway all the time. So there was no way. Sometimes people think if you live in a rural area, you have access to green space, but if you tried to walk, you would have coal dust smacking you in the face. And mm-hmm. and it just changed the entire um, neighborhood. My creek that I grew up on, and, you know, it was it was our playground back in, mm-hmm. back in the 70s. I'm giving you my age, uh, <laughs> 60s, and, 60s and 70s. I mean, the creeks were their playground, and after the coal companies moved in, the creek ran every color but... but um, Water, yeah, <laughs> and, but clear. And, been, and, and so uh, since the mid '80s, I have been fighting to get this creek cleaned up. And of course, the company that did it filed bankruptcy and walked away. And it's been running orange with acid mine drainage uh, since since the '80s. And I have fought every every step of the way. And then, so they deep mined, they strip mined in the holler where I lived, and 
and I just my latest report from the state was it's not acid mine drainage because there's two different mines there, and mm-hmm. they sent me the report on one rather than the other, and it's like it's not acid mine drainage, it's toxic mine drainage. It's like okay, <laughs> <laughs> there's a big difference there. Yeah, yeah, that so, means a lot to the people downstream. That's that's a huge difference. Thanks for that. Yeah, I mean there was acid mine drainage on one side and toxic mine drainage on the other, which emptied into Ewing Creek, which empties into the Cumberland River. And I've been I've been fighting this fight since the 80s to get it cleaned up. And we have all of this legacy pollution where these industries have just mined and they put up a small bond. And like right now, the insurance companies are refusing to bond long-term uh, water discharge problems. But our state continues to issue permits knowing that, that it is poisoning our people. Well, and talk about how it's poisoning the people. What kind of health impacts have you seen? Well, we've had, there's about 21 or 22 peer-reviewed studies out, and it talks about increased COPD, and of course that's that's going to happen if you're uh, breathing fine particulate matter, mm-hmm. you know, and some of it is so fine that you can't see it go down. And then uh, 42% increase in birth defects. Oh, my Isn't gosh. Isn't that bad? 42% that's increase. Uh, I think uh, they tested a place, and it went from 26% in f- four years, and then the next four years it was up to 42%. And then, of course, there's heart disease and um, kidney kidney disorders, and, and the list just goes on and on and on. And, you know, whether it's the water, whether it's the air we breathe or, or a combination, our people are sick, mm-hmm. and they're not being protected by those that are charged to... Uh, protect human health and the environment. You mean Obamacare isn't going to fix everything? Well, maybe they could go to the doctor. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe we can get out in front of it. Maybe there's something the administration could do to get out in front of this health problem. Yeah, stop it. Enforce the Clean Air Act and enforce the Clean Water Act in Kentucky or throughout central Appalachia. Absolutely. That, that's what we need. And, and you know, I just want to, you said that 60 or 70 percent of the the coal is surface mine. Actually, in Kentucky, it's a 50-50 thing. Uh-huh. So 50% is surface mined and 50% is a deep mined. Tell us, Terry, when you make a complaint against a coal company, uh, you know, you've been, you've been working on these issues for years. What happens? What have you personally experienced in terms of uh, retaliation? Well, one time, a long, long time ago, um, and, and I must say that I have moved into the foothills of the Daniel Boone. I no longer live in a co-producing county, so I'm a little bit safer. Um, uh, but when I lived in the community and I called and, and reported that the road needed to be cleaned up because my children had to walk across a foot of coal muck to mm-hmm. get on the school bus. And instead of the, the highway department taking care of the situation, they called the coal company. And the coal company sent a truck to circle my house up on top of the hill, you know, to intimidate me. And so I just called them and told them if they thought they could intimidate me, they better think twice. So so they sent my brother to my house to uh, tell me to leave them alone. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, brother. Wow. Now, there is Uh, an elementary school that uh, that has, has... 
bubbled up in in terms of, of stories and and uh, a great example of some of the efforts that local community members have made in order to protect children from the harmful effects of of this particular type of coal mining and that elementary is uh, Marsh Fork can you tell us about that because I know that a lot of our listeners have not heard the story of Marsh Fork Elementary yeah but thank goodness they got a new school last year finally either this year or last year so there's and, and you know what there's lots of schools in the Appalachian region remember I was telling you about those sludge impoundments but mm-hmm. Marsh Fork Elementary was sitting uh well, it was there before, um, I think at the time it was called Massico. They've all changed names now. Mm-hmm. Um, it was Massey Energy at that point, and they had a huge sludge impoundment, millions, maybe even billions of gallons of toxic sludge, and it was stored right up on top of the mountain above this elementary school. And then they had co-silos that was actually off permit that was right near the school and the kids would come home from school looking like they'd been working in the coal mines and all of this dust is not only outside but it you know it comes to your house i mean yeah. just, you you get you, everything gets covered with dust mm-hmm. i mean my house my house when i lived in dayhoit would look like someone came through blowing coal dust through my house Mm-hmm. And tell us, you know, I mean, it took a long time for those that school to be relocated, and people were fighting this fight for a long time. Um, tell us a little bit about that, you know, that movement. It, yeah, that was uh, Pennies for Promise, and, and Ed Wiley, one of the grandchildren of, of, or one of the grandfathers of one of the children, actually walked to Washington, D.C., and he had people walking with him and people visit, uh, you know, meeting him along the way and school children giving pennies for promise to help build a new school for those children so they could move out from underneath that dangerous site. Mm-hmm. And, and, I mean, I remember going him going in because I've marched with him to Washington because we all stick together, we're, whether we're Virginia, Kentucky, West Virginia, mm-hmm. Tennessee, we're all in this struggle together, you know. Yeah. It's just state lines. So, we we marched into Washington D.C. with with Ed and he went in and prayed with Senator Byrd. Uh huh. So, and, and what uh, happened? Um, nothing happened for two two or three more years, and then finally, I think Massey might have donated a little bit of money, and the community kept working to get enough money to build the children a new school. I'm sure that, you know, because there are a lot of families relying on a paycheck uh, from the coal miner and their family in your area, that it is scary when people talk about anything that could end up, you know, removing that paycheck from their family budget. Um, I know that, you know, when my dad was a coal miner, um, it, it, you know, it was it was really scary to be out of work. And um, and I'm sure you know, there are a lot of people who live around you that maybe don't take kindly to your efforts. Um, how, how do you deal with that within the community? Well, I think I've, I've gotten a little bit hard about it, considering, you know, I did mention the Superfund site before, and, mm-hmm. you know, so many of my friends and neighbors have died in the community I grew up in, and... Um, and that's hard to see. I mean, people my age, mo- most people are dead by the time they're my age, and I'm in my mid-50s. But uh-huh. 
you know, I'm really happy that people have a paycheck, but you don't get to poison me in order to do that. Uh-huh. And we and- have to have another way. And you know what? I'm the one up there in Frankfurt, and I'm the one up there in Washington, D.C., fighting for mine safety legislation. I had a younger brother that died from a mining accident. Mm-hmm. You know, and and when you talk about your father and the unions and being laid off, at that point it was the community and the workers together. Right, right. And now it's the it's the industry is playing the workers against the community. For instance, we had a hearing in. Uh, it was a string buffer zone hearing, meaning you cannot mine within a hundred feet of a stream. Mm-hmm. And on the public, you know, the industry put on uh, the radio over and over and over and over, come to this hearing, the, the job you save could be your own. All wow. I had to do with was clean water. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, they spend, if the industry spent as much money on doing things correctly and following the law as they do manipulating politics and people's minds, we'd be a lot better off. <laughs> mm-hmm. I hear what you're saying, and I, I wonder if there aren't some other industries that could come in and provide jobs. That's one of the things that, especially in eastern Kentucky, that I know a lot of people have been waiting for for so long. Um, but, you know, it's tough to come in and develop uh, new industries when the real estate value keeps going lower and lower due to this kind of pollution. And so that, that makes it pretty tough. It's, it makes it a tough sell. Well, we've got well to take unfortunately, a, also, can I say one thing? Unfortunately, sure. so much of the land is owned by out-of-state corporations. Hmm, I mean, at one point, Harlan County, the county that I grew up in, I don't know how it is now, but there was like 85% of the county was owned by out-of-state landholding companies. Interesting. Interesting. And they huh. don't let go of it. Yep. Or not. And their tax base is so low that, you know, they're not paying their fair share. Mm-hmm. Well, that's something I want to talk about. I want to talk about the economics of quote-unquote coal wealth uh, in just a moment. But don't go away, folks. We're going to take a quick commercial break. But when we come back, there's much more Go Green Radio right on the other side of this break. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Each week, Jimmy Gould brings you the stories and the people that you want to hear about. Tune in to A Current Life to hear about the journey to success, how our guests became the people they are today, and the highs and lows they experienced along the way. Each hour will leave you inspired and entertained as Jimmy gets up close and personal with every week's guest and shares ideas you can identify with and apply to your own life. A Current Life with Jimmy Gould airs Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
stimulating talk. It gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad to have you joining us today because we're talking about a topic I've wanted to discuss with you all, my listeners, for a long, long time. And that is, uh, some people call it MTR. It's mountaintop removal, coal mining. It's a method of coal mining where essentially they take dynamite, blast the top off of mountains and, and, and take the coal right out of the top of the ground. Um, and we've been talking with Carrie Blanton, who lives in Kentucky, has seen what this type of, uh, coal extraction has done to the downstream communities in terms of the pollution that they have to endure, the adverse human health impacts that they have to endure. Um, you know, but a lot of this happens because of money. I mean, you can trace so many things like this back to money. And in fact, as I was researching for the show, Terry, I just saw numerous websites that talked about how important coal is to the economy in Kentucky and other Appalachian states. Um, and yet, when I was looking at the Department of Labor statistics for the state of Kentucky, the wealth that coal supposedly brings doesn't seem to be reaching everybody in the state. In fact, I was looking at the counties where coal is mined, and you actually find fairly high poverty rates and uh, high levels of unemployment and high levels of food stamp uh, you know, participation. Terry, you've lived in coal country, so give us some information that maybe we can't find on a website. Is coal mining actually benefiting the economy of the communities where it's being mined, or is that coal wealth going somewhere else? Well, you do have, you do have some of the taxes that come back to the counties, mm-hmm. and, and you do have a few people working, but if you're doing strip mining, then there's very, very few workers. And actually, coal is just like 1%, 1 to 2% of our workforce in, in the state of Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, in the, you're, you are absolutely right. The counties that mine coal are the poorest counties in, in the state and actually some of the poorest counties in the nation. Yeah. Um, we were fighting a permit that was going to go by this Cordia school. And the, the Cordia, it's C-O-R-D-I-A, it has a very long history about how this woman, Alice Sloan, kept it alive when they were trying to close it down. So it has a great history, and they're trying to put a valley field behind this do mountaintop removal right up to the school, and we've been trying to fight this permit. And so we took the environmental justice uh, uh, people and the regional administrator at the time, Gwendolyn Keyes, for Region 4 EPA to this school to talk to them. And 85% of the students in that school were on food stamps. Wow. So, you know, I grew up in Harlan County, and millions and millions of tons of coal have come out of that county. And according to the reports, it says like 29 or 30, whatever percent of the people live in poverty. But that's just the people that are accounted for. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? There's all kinds of people that live unaccounted for. 
mm-hmm. that live with family. And no, it hasn't. It hasn't brought prosperity to our region whatsoever. And actually, May said it's a Mountain Association for Community Economic Development. Mm-hmm. Um, they did a study three or four years ago and looked at dollars in, dollars out mm-hmm. when it comes to coal, not even looking at the environmental impact or the health impact of coal, just mm-hmm. dollars in, dollars out. In our state, when in a hole, about $113 million in wow. one year. Wow. You know, I remember... You know, I'm a, I'm a former naval officer. My husband was in the Marine Corps. And so, uh, you know, during Desert Storm and, and, you know, we were on active duty then. And, um, and I remember back then and even during the more recent war in Iraq, people were so, you know, up in arms about the fact that, you know, there was all this oil in Iraq and, you know, but the people were so poor. Like, how could, you know, all this oil be there in that country? And and it's not trickling down to the people. The people are so poor. Well, (laughs) ironically, it kind of sounds like the same thing's going on with coal. Uh, You know, it's, it's so important to the state's economy that, you know, many of your state representatives and and your Congress people um, will protect the coal industry, but it doesn't seem to be trickling down to the economies where you know they're dealing with the the actual health impacts of the extraction, and that that's <laughs> that's uh, just kind of amazing to me. Uh, I don't know how people in the area feel about it, but uh, the parallels are unbelievable um, in my mind. I don't know what you think about that, Terry. Well, uh, <clears throat> good public relations by the coal industry is all I can say. Mm-hmm. They're very good at that and flooding the flooding the airways, you know, with with their tales they have woven. <laughs> yeah. But, Speaking of PR, uh, it, it, you yeah. know, a lot of there's been a lot of talk about clean coal and. Yeah. All this technology about carbon sequestration, I'm not against that. That's great. But that's on the burning side of coal. And every while well, everybody's attention is, it's kind of like a magician. You know how they distract you while they're doing the trick. Uh, they'll yeah. you know, have something going on on the side of the stage while they're doing the sleight of hand that, that creates the magic. The, the, the clean coal discussion has got everybody focused on, well, let's clean it up when we burn it. But, you know, I haven't heard a peep about cleaning up the production of coal. And so, you know, when you talk about, quote, unquote, clean coal, um, I don't see anything clean about mountaintop removal coal mining or, you know, uh, the, the production side. What are your thoughts on clean coal, Terry? Well, I just heard Janet McCabe of the administration talking about it. Last week, and of course, I had a, a comment. If she wants to see clean coal, she needs to. If she thinks she coal is clean, she needs to come home with me. Yeah. And the and, and the thing of it is, is the more we scrub out of what's going out in the air, goes into the ash. And the EPA still hasn't decided what we're going to do with the fluke gas, what we're going to do with the ash that's produced. And remember mm-hmm. what happened, I don't know if you know what happened down at the TVA site down in Tennessee uh, about three I Christmas, do. Christmas ago. I do, but tell our listeners when, because they may not. Yeah, this is Well, disgusting. I mean, millions and millions. I mean, what was it, about 50 years of coal ash that had been piled up into mountains broke into this valley and into this beautiful lake, and they called it Ashbergs all the way through the lake. So it killed this entire lake. I mean, moved these people's houses right off their foundation. So there is so much to coal. I mean, some people call it the life cycle of coal. I call it the death march. 
mm. because it is so toxic from the beginning of the extraction and then the earth that's left behind after they extract it because when you separate the the coal from certain minerals that's in the earth, then mm-hmm. it turns the water a, a really acidic. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I've tested in my neighborhood down there where the pH would be 2. Oh and that's pure sulfuric acid coming out of there. Oh, wow. You know, so uh, there's it, and and that's just the beginning. And then you got to think about the processing, and then all of those hundreds and millions and billions of gallons of toxic coal sludge where it's been cleaned in the mm-hmm. beginning stages of it, and 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 then you know it's then it goes off to the power plant, and you're going to say it's clean once you pull what's out of the stack. Yeah, and, and and if you pull it out of the stack, where are you going to put it? It's going to be either it's going to be in the ash. Well, so and now you know we're storing crazy? all these ash ponds by all of our waterways. And, and what's crazy is, I mean, this seems to be indicative of uh, energy planning in this country. In as much as we don't have a place yet to put radioactive waste from nuclear plants. There's still not a good plan for a safe place to put the fly ash and to put the the toxic sludge uh, from from coal production. I mean, we are we are not great at looking at the life cycle of our energy sources and solving the problems before we start making them. And this is really um, just terrible planning. And and it's well, can, it's borderline criminal. So- Go ahead. So with the with um, you know what to do with the radioactive waste when we get finished with nuclear plants, mm-hmm. and God love the people that have to deal with the mining of the uranium because they're mm-hmm. having to deal with the same thing we are because uh-huh. they think oh if we can figure out what to do with the waste after we produce this energy, but nobody's looking at the front end of mining of uranium. I mean, there's places out west that is still radioactive twenty thirty years later after after the mining of uranium. So mm-hmm. God love them. They deal with the same thing that I do. Yep. Hey, well, if we can deal with the end of it, then, you know, and we're not looking at the beginning. So when we think about our energy, we need to think about it from from the cradle to the grave. Yep, exactly. And, and that's what I think is missing in so many discussions. And it's just too convenient to talk about what comes out of the stacks uh, in terms of the emissions. That That's only a small sliver of the entire, you know, picture. You know, in case some of our listeners out there are hearing us talk about coal production in Kentucky and thinking, well, what does this have to do with me? I'm going to give you just one potential answer. Coal that's mined in Kentucky is exported to 21 states, and 90% of the coal that is used from Kentucky in these 21 states is for electricity. So if you happen to live in one of the following states and you have a light switch, uh, then you are benefiting from coal that is coming from blowing up mountains and taking the coal from Kentucky. These are the states that import Kentucky coal. Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Minnesota, Mississippi, New York, North Carolina, Ohio, Oklahoma, Pennsylvania, South Carolina, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wisconsin. Now, Terry, I would love for you to talk to the folks who live in those states and give them some ideas of what they might be able to do to help uh, the people in Kentucky who are negatively impacted by 
the mountaintop removal coal mining that's helping to provide the electricity for their state? I would suggest that they call their utility company and demand that they no longer buy coal that's mountain t- that comes from strip mining. And also demand that, that they start looking into new energy sources besides coal. Because coal is a finite resource. It's not going to be here forever. And also on the federal level, we have a, a bill that's called the Clean Water Protection Act. Ask your, ask your, um, uh, Congress people to support the Clean Water Protection Act. Absolutely. And, 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 and you know, talk, talk to your utility companies and, uh, you know, weatherize your houses and do what's needed to do to reduce our, our dependence on fossil fuels. There has to be another way. I mean, mm-hmm. we could send a, a man to, moon, to the moon in 10 years, but, you know, we were riding horses and buggies when we were producing coal from electricity. Surely we can figure out another way. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And with the technology is already there, can you envision Kentucky exporting truly clean, green energy? I mean, is that opportunity available in Kentucky? Do you have the right sunlight or wind resources to, to create jobs that way? Well, there, well, of course we have the sun. It's a very yeah. sunny state. Yeah. And uh, there's certain places in the state that, that – um, will support wind energy, and we've actually been trying to work with the community in Harlan County to um, put um, uh, a wind turbine up that would supply energy to the the Tri-City area. It's a very small area, and um, so we are working in that direction and, you know, working with our utility companies and our co-ops and trying to get our because um, we have electrical co-ops in Kentucky, and we've mm-hmm. made some headway with, you know, uh, 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 reducing people's energy costs by, you know, they say that Kentucky has the, the cheapest uh, energy bill, uh, in, cheapest energy rates, but the, hard, the largest energy bills. And it's because we've never had houses built to code, to code so we've been right. working through utility companies and try pressing for um, weatherization of houses and, and you know, own bill financing and, and other things. But, you know, and, and the workers in the, in, the, in the coal mines, and, I mean, like I said, my brother died from working in the coal mines, come from a coal mining family. Uh, um, these people have been producing energy for this nation for over 100 years. Mm-hmm. You know, and when I would only wish for them that when the new energy economy happens that they can be a part of it. I absolutely embrace that. I think that's uh, that's a lot of um, what of um, what America owes them. And as much as we owe uh, other groups of people who've done great things for our country, we owe our energy workers a great debt. And uh, I agree with you. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we'll have much more with Terry Blanton and uh, talking about mountaintop removal coal mining. Don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Tolvanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Tolvanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could join us so that you could tune in and hear from Terry Blanton, who's been on the front lines fighting uh, what has really become a public health scourge in her area, and that is mountaintop removal coal mining. And look, I came from a coal mining family. My dad was a coal miner for 25 years. Um, you know, so it's not like I'm, uh, you know, an, an outsider looking in. Um, but, but this is, is negatively impacting the children and the, you know, the vulnerable, everybody, uh, their health in this area where this type of surface mining is going on. During the break, Terry and I were, were starting to discuss um, what's going on in other states besides Kentucky and how farmers in uh, southern Illinois, where I am from, and even farmers in Texas have been fighting uh, coal, either mining or, or coal energy plants, because they have to compete with them, A, for topsoil, if you're talking about long wall mining or, or strip mining, uh, but they are also competing with the coal industry for clean water. You can't run dirty water through a, a coal power plant because uh, that will gum up the the, the steam turbines um, so you got to run clean water through it and when our nation is going through historic drought like we have been uh, particularly in the Great Plains states where you've got a lot of ag and you've got also a lot of coal um, electricity being produced there's competition between these two groups Terry add your your perspective on that particular situation I, it's it's amazing how many millions and millions of gallons of water it takes to actually burn one ton of coal, mm-hmm. or to or the the entire death march of that coal from the beginning to end. And you know, so many of our aquifers, especially out west, have have been dewatered. You know, yeah. and just from from putting at one point somewhere out in. The, the West, they would put coal in water and ship it all, you know, had this pipeline running it all the way to like three or four states down, down the way. I mean, it's just absolutely crazy. And well, we and must, this, a, you go, go right ahead. I'm sorry. We must as a country, I mean, just look at what we're doing and, and think about another way to produce energy. Well, and once you, you pollute that water, like you were talking about earlier, those, those sludge ponds of all this water that washed down the coal, uh, after it was mined and, and then sent it off to be burned, um, 
that water is contaminated and it just sits in these large pools. It's no longer good for agriculture, drinking, um, you know, all the things. It's re- basically removed from the water cycle that could provide us with fresh, clean water. Um, and that it's not the only technology, energy technology that does that. There's some po- folks who are concerned about the water that goes down into uh, gas fracking lines to break open the shale uh, gas. And then they suck that water that's that's laced with chemicals back up out of those pipes and store it in injection wells. You know, it's it's contaminated. It's full of chemicals, and it's it's not good for growing food with it, irrigating our crops, or for drinking. Um, you know, I can't imagine what you must be feeling, Terry, when you look out over the landscape of your homeland um, and see it forever changed. I think what's so sad about mountaintop removal is that it's permanent damage. <laughs> you blow the top off that mountain, it's not coming back. Um, Talk to us about what it's like to see your home forever changed just for the sake of cheap electricity in 21 other states. I I don't think that words could actually explain watching the death of a mountain. I mean, this beautiful, life-giving mountain that, you know, in one acre plot in Kentucky, you can have 20 different species of trees and then all the understory that goes with it and all the herbal medicines and, and everything that that mountain is, is providing life for. And then the water that slowly trickles off of it when it rains. Because, mind you, in Kentucky, we get 40 to 50 inches of rainfall annually. And once you remove all of that plant life and that, you know, we have these heavy rains, it's like hitting the parking lot of a Walmart and it's rushing out of the mountains and flash flooding everywhere down through its path. And to watch it disappear, and just a little short story, there was some some kids at the time were going to Columbia College in Chicago, and they called me and they said, we have to see this. And they grew up in the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia. And I said, for some reason, I said, come on down. I was busy. I said, come on down from Chicago, and I'll take you and show you. I had four grown boys or <laughs> young men and a young lady stand there and look at this devastation and cry. And oh. today they're, they are still with me. They call themselves Topless Mountain, and they're, they have a whole video production. And just you never know when you talk to someone or when you show someone what kind of action you're going to get from them and what, what actions they'll take forward with them. So it, it, it's just indescribable what, what it looks like, the pictures. I mean, when you look at the pictures in the book or the pictures on, on site, just know that that could go on for thousands and thousands of acres. And the one thing that a lot of those pictures don't show is these are mountains very high up over top of uh, small valleys. So when it rains, the valleys down below are getting flooded out on a regular basis. Lots of FEMA money goes to Appalachia to repair what uh, coal is done to, to the region. Oh, unbelievable. And when you say, you know, it, flood, it floods the valley, um, there's people down there. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's I feel where like people I live. To, <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, it, it's, very, it's very, it's um, very, 
uh, shallow valleys, I would say. You know, sometimes you would have a road, a creek, and a mountain on both sides, you know, and places for houses up, up the valleys. But yeah, they're, they're very shallow valleys and, and, or narrow valleys. And, and, uh, you know, the people are living in those valleys and they're getting flooded on a, on a regular basis. I mean, I've had, People in communities I've worked with were like their valley fields weren't constructed correctly, and their children would sleep with their shoes on oh, and their clothes on because they were afraid of flash floods. Oh my gosh! You know, we only have a few moments left in the show, Terry, and I want you to spend that time telling our listeners who I hope will be moved enough to take some kind of action, whatever it may be, how they can get involved. What can we do? Well, you can do what I what I asked before. You can call your utility company and demand that they not uh, uh, use buy um, mountaintop removal coal, and also ask them to to start investing in in renewable energies, and also uh, projects that would cause people to not use as much electricity, like weatherization in homes and stuff like that. And also, the Clean Water Protection Act is a, a bill that would prohibit the dumping of the waste in the streams that mm-hmm. we're working on on the federal level. And um, just, you know, I belong to an organization called also the Kentuckians for the Commonwealth, kftc.org. You can check it out. Mm-hmm. And I'm also a part of the Alliance for Appalachia. And our website is ilovemountains.org. Terry, and- you are my shero. <laughs> Well, you. you you are amazing, and I'm so thrilled that you were on Go Green Radio with us, and I hope that all of our listeners will get out there, visit your websites, and get involved and uh, and help make a difference. Um, thank you so much for what you do, and thank you to our listeners for tuning in for this week's Go Green Radio. We'll be here same time, same place next week. Until then, have a great week and do something in your life to go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Save on your prescriptions with the RX Savings Plus drug discount card offered by Voice America. It is not insurance and discounts are only available from participating pharmacies, but 9 out of 10 pharmacies participate nationwide. Everyone is eligible for RX Savings Plus. There's no age or income restrictions and no paperwork. Simply print a card and start saving on your prescriptions. Start saving today. Enroll and print your free card online at voiceamerica.rxsavingsplus.com or text the word talk radio to 9 Six three six two.
Get ahead in business and life. Read Getting It Done, 1,000 of the best-kept secrets for success in business and life by John Capozzi. Learn how John, a successful Connecticut businessman, obtained 13 corporate promotions in 13 years. This book makes a fantastic gift for anyone who wants to get ahead in business. Voice America will donate a portion of every copy sold to the USO. Visit gettingitdone.com and enter promo code VA1234 at checkout to get a 10% discount. That's gettingitdone.com, promo code VA1234 for a 10% discount today. Boxing, like networking, is a contact sport. The more contacts and connections you make, the greater your success. If you're a business owner, sales agent, or job seeker, it's all about the connection. If you want help in your corner, pick up a copy of Knockout Networking today by speaker and author Michael Goldberg. Michael's book will absolutely help you generate more prospects, more referrals, and more business, or more job leads, or even more social connections. Knockout Networking will help you feel more confident speaking with people you don't know. Determine who your target market is, the best way to introduce yourself at business meetings, how to deliver an elevator pitch, follow-up, and how to generate more leads. Social media isn't always the answer, but Knockout Networking is. Visit KnockoutNetworking.com to pick up your copy of Michael Goldberg's book, Knockout Networking. Remember, nothing happens in business without a connection, so make the right connections. Visit KnockoutNetworking.com today. News, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787, 1-866-472-5787, voiceamerica.com. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. The Dr. Pat Show is moving. We're not changing times, just the channel. Starting Thursday, May 2nd, join Dr. Pat at her new home, the Voice America Empowerment Channel, every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Mark your calendars now. Dr. Pat's new home is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll see you there starting May 2nd. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. It's time to cruise the Internet Talk Radio airwaves. Welcome to Cruise Views with Ken Muscat, brought to you by MSC Cruises. You ever wanted to know what makes the cruise industry tick? Get ready for an exciting behind-the-scenes look at the people, the destinations, and the ongoing innovations of one of the most exciting and fastest-growing industries. Now, here's your host, Ken Muscat. Welcome to Cruise Views, and happy Friday, everybody. I'm coming to you live from South Florida, home to the newest and largest cruise ships in the world. This is Cruise Views, 
brought to you by MSC Cruises, Mediterranean-style cruising where life is measured in moments, not minutes. Thank you for tuning in to our fifth show of our 13-week series. So far, it has been a great four shows, and number five is going to be even better. Cruising has only continued to grow, so we wanted to continue with this show to generate extreme interest in the cruise industry and continue to do our part to increase the amount of cruisers each year. Each week, we are giving away weekly prizes and one grand prize, which is a cruise, an MSC cruise giveaway at the end of our 13-week series. To win these prizes, all you need to do is follow us on Twitter at Ken Muscat and also at MSC Cruises USA, and also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash MSC Cruises USA to get the Cruise Views Question of the Week. When you see the Question of the Week, email your answer to cruise.views at mscruisesusa.com. Again, we've got one winner per week. We will choose the one winner per week based on who answers the questions properly. And this week's prize is a grand prize of all kinds of goodies from MSC Cruises.